0: Come to the table Happy Mother's Day to everyone. It can be a happy Mother's Day even if you're not a mother. (laughs) Happy Mother's Day to you moms. Thank you again. Um, You're amazing. Uh, Everything you do and all you give. Uh, That video, gosh, that chokes me up. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a baby. I, I cry so easily with stuff. I mean, I'll, I'll cry during a commercial of has to do with parenting, you know, or kids. I was like, <laughs> uh, because I love my kids and, and God is good. Um, I don't know if you guys have had this experience before, but have you ever had a time where you, you know, life is going good. Things are going well for you. Um, and pretty smooth, you know, no, I mean, you typical ups and downs with with life, but nothing crazy stressful, Uh, things are going well, and at some point, someone gives you a hug, you know, someone that you really love, someone that you really trust, and they just feel like they should give you a hug, and so they give you a hug, and you give them a hug, and it's a meaningful embrace, but suddenly, you realize how much you needed that hug, but you didn't know before it happened, you know? Like you get the hug and you're like, you realize suddenly you you relax. You're like, wow, I was tense. And then sometimes maybe you get a little emotional and you're like, dang, I wasn't planning on getting emotional, I don't know what's going on. But a lot of times I think in our life, we can move from one thing to the next so quickly and so often and in the process and it's good it can be all good things uh, we're busy doing good things even God things even living out our purpose and our calling but we go so quickly from one thing to the next without a break and that during that process we don't realize that we're kind of dragging our heart behind us you know what I mean? But we don't realize it. It's not like we're conscious that we're doing it. But it takes a moment like that. A moment of genuine affection. Or love. Or someone noticing us. Or valuing us. Or affirming us. Or something that we weren't expecting. A meaningful, sincere gesture of love and compassion and empathy. When we weren't expecting it. And then that releases something in us. And it, it kind of gives us a little clue as to the condition of our heart, even though life is going pretty well. Um, I know that that Jesus does the same thing for us. I don't know if you've, you've experienced that as well, but there's times where again, life is going good, and I decide to, I don't know sing a worship song or a song comes on the radio or something, you know and on Caleb or whatever, and then all of a sudden, like within a minute, I'm like crying as I'm driving. I'm like, what happened? You know, because I'm just so emotional, but I realized, man, I haven't, my heart, I, I haven't been caring for my heart. I've just been moving and going and doing good things and serving and loving, but my heart needed some attention. And Jesus just has this way, doesn't he? He's just breaking through. Just like, a mom, the affection that our moms show us. And I can't tell you how many times I've hugged my mom (laughs) since she moved into our house. Like I've given her like 50 hugs in like two days. Like I just, every time she's around, I'm like hugging on my mom. Like, hey mom, uh, I really, I'm sorry if I'm hugging you too much. I don't know. Um, But I love my mom. Um, But we need Jesus to care for our hearts. And even in our pursuit of purpose, in living out our calling, it's wonderful. We we should be fruitful in pursuing what God has called us to, but we also need to be whole. Not just fruitful, but whole and healed. And so the title of my message today is Whole. Let's pray over the word, Lord Jesus, uh, our hearts are ready to receive what you have for us. Uh, Father, I just, I ask God that anything that comes from my mouth, that comes from me, Lord God, will fall to the ground and have no fruit, Lord, but your words or what you want to say, God, that that will remain and it'll bear fruit in our lives, Jesus, 30, 60, 100 fold in every area, God. And our hearts are open to you for an embrace from our heavenly father this morning. We love you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are continuing in our series, Living on Purpose. Uh, We are actually going to be closing out the series today. Uh, We've walked through a lot in this series, walking through the life of Joseph. But we started out talking about stewarding our passion. And pointing our passion in the right direction for eternal value, things that have eternal value, our relationship with God, people, souls, putting our attention and our passion in that direction. And then we talked about the the question of calling and how identity precedes calling, right? And how who we are tells us what God is asking of us, like being a child of God and being a member of his family and and so on. And then we talked about the the two-sided coin of planning by the principles of God's word and his truth and living by the presence and being aware and acknowledging that God is with us in every moment. He has everything that we need and each moment of our life is pregnant with purpose because God is with us and we have a calling in every moment of our life, but yet God also calls us to plan and to be prudent And plan according to prudence and according to kingdom and according to character. And so this week, we're going to continue. We're going to look at the tail end of Joseph's Joseph's story. Um, So far, where we picked up, where we left off last week is Joseph is doing well now. I mean, things are going well. Finally, right? Finally, things are going well for Joseph. Right? He he moved into the position second in command of the entire land of Egypt. Uh, his his plan, his his dreams, his interpretation of the dreams came to pass exactly. The way he said it, Uh, his plan of gathering the bounty of those seven years uh, worked out, and now they're in the seven years of famine, but Egypt has all this food stored up, and they're literally selling food to the entire known world. Everyone is coming to Egypt, and and Joseph's just, he's rocking and rolling. Things are going really, really well for him. He's literally seeing the plan come to fruition right before his eyes. Everything happens. Everything that God told him, it's all awesome, it's all gravy. Uh, Genesis 41, verse 51, it says, Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. <laughs> he puts those things together. <laughs> he made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household, you know, because that was a lot of my trouble, right? And so I'm, I'm done with them, man. I, I can forget them. I'm doing good. I'm married. I've got kids. You know, everything's going well. I'm second in command. Life is good. He says in verse 52, the second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. And so he's saying that, hey, God's made me fruitful. I'm good. I've forgotten the past. I've moved on. And life is good. So Joseph thought that the fulfillment in that moment, the fulfillment of the dream, uh, had made him whole. He, he was whole. He was complete. I got it all. I'm, I'm, I'm set. I'm all set here. Everything seemed to be going well for him. he literally was living out his dream, like actually living out the dream, um, until his brothers show up, right? So Joseph's brothers show up. That They're having famine in the land of Canaan. So Jacob, his dad, sends his brothers to get food from Egypt. His brothers show up to buy food from him, and he recognizes them, but they don't recognize him because he's dressed up like an Egyptian, and he's speaking through an interpreter. So they didn't even recognize it was Joseph. They thought their brother was dead. So they're not even thinking about that. But he notices them. well, Joseph, when he sees his brother, all of that that was in him, all that trauma, everything they experienced— Rose, up! you see it rising up in him because his first words out of his mouth is, you guys are spies. You're spying out the land. I need to throw you in prison. I mean, he just, he deals with them harshly. And there's nothing to say that they're spies, obviously. But you can see all of that trauma, all of that emotion rising up in him. And he starts speaking to them. Harshly, He throws him into prison for a while. And then he says, okay, I want to see my youngest brother, my full brother, Benjamin. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep one of you prisoner. And all the rest of you brothers, you go back and bring back your youngest brother. Uh, So all this happens. A lot goes on with the story. They come back finally with his full brother, Benjamin, his youngest, uh, because they shared the same mom. And he shows up on the scene and, and Joseph sees him gets emotional again goes and he weeps and he weeps so loud that people hear him right and then he plays another trick on him and he hides one of his he has his servant hide one of his expensive goblets in benjamin's bag when they go to leave of grain he stops him along the way they find the goblet then they're all like oh my goodness god is clearly against us my goodness all this stuff is happening but look what it look what happens when he first when they first show up on the scene look at what they say In chapter 42, verse 21, it says, they said to one another, as Joseph is treating them harshly, um, surely we are being punished because of our brother. So they're thinking, the reason why we're being unjustly treated is because we treated our brother unjustly. It says, we saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. Can you imagine that? A 17-year-old, Joseph was 17, pleading with his brothers for for his life as they're selling him into slavery so he's pleading with his life he says but we would not listen that's why this distress has come to us Reuben replied didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy but you wouldn't listen now we must give an accounting for his blood they did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter he turned away from them and began to weep and then came back and spoke to them again so Joseph meets them with harsh words, he accuses them, he hears their remorse, and then he turns away and he starts weeping. Now it seemed like everything was going well for him, but what do we see? We see that success, prosperity, and fulfillment can't heal a broken heart, can't, can't heal us. doesn't matter how well things go, it's not going to heal our hearts, it's not going to make us whole. And can you imagine the amount of pain that Joseph felt, the trauma of that experience? I mean, think about it. He goes to check on his brothers, you know, just a normal day. They meet him, and he's like, hey, guys. And then they grab him, they rip his robe off, and they're, like, beating up on him. And he's like, golly, guys, you know. Then the next thing you know, they, they throw him into a pit. And so I'm sure at this point, he's probably thinking, okay, this is just payback. This is a joke, you know, or like, they're going to come get me out of the pit. You know, I, obviously they're just, they're just angry with me. So then they come to draw him out of the pit and he's like, okay, here it is. The end of the joke. They've come to their senses. They pull him out. He's talking to him. He's like, oh man, you guys got me. I thought you were going to leave me in there, you know? And then next thing you know, they're selling him off as a slave, they're binding his hands and start pulling him behind their cart off to Egypt. And and he's yelling at his brothers. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please. What what did I do? Please. Please. He's pleading with them, said, for his life. Can you imagine at 17 years old what that would, the mark that that would leave on you? Your own family doing this to you. The people that you love. So Joseph naturally acts out of these feelings of hurt and bitterness and through deceit, harsh words, and actions. So finally, after all this, after all these things that he does to his brothers, in Genesis 44:14 14, it says, When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there, and they fell to the ground before him. So Judah said, What can we say to my Lord? What can we speak, and how can we justify ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's slaves, both we and the one in whose possession the cup had been found. So in this moment, Joseph, he sees the repentance and the remorse of his brothers for what they did to him. And they had no idea that it was their brother that they're saying this to And then compassion and love for his family breaks through Joseph's heart. And God gives him the power to forgive. Genesis 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried, have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard of it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please, please come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now listen to this, what he says. Now do not be grieved Or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Do not be grieved or angry with you. What a statement for him to say. After what his brothers had done to him, he said, don't be grieved. Don't be angry with yourselves. Jesus didn't want to cause any more grief. He'd experienced enough He knew that that was not God's heart for his brothers. That's not what he wanted for them. Wasn't retribution, it was forgiveness. And And Joseph offers it to them. Then in verse 13, he says, Behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth which is speaking to you. Now you must tell my father of all my splendor in Egypt and all that you have seen, and you must hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. He kissed all his brothers and wept on them. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. Man, what a powerful scene. Can you guys imagine this? just weeping and then all together, huddled together, just crying on each other and restored and, and just the power of redemption and forgiveness and compassion and restoration in that moment with Joseph. And even though he had experienced all this success, there was still brokenness in his heart. But God, in that moment, made him whole. He made him whole. So, so, what do we learn from this? I think it's not just about living on purpose, it's not just about being fruitful in our life. It's not just about being productive. It's it's easy to go in that direction, especially in American culture, because it's all about success. And so it's not just about that. It's not like, okay, I'm doing it, I'm checking the boxes, I'm saying yes to Jesus. I'm doing all the things he's asking me to do and it's going well and, or it's not going well, but either way, I'm doing. I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing. I'm doing these things. But in the process, if we leave our heart behind us and drag it through the mud as we continue to do and to do and to do for God, that's not his will for us. It's not just about that. It's about being whole. So how do we do that? How do we balance those things, of having that passion, the drive of purpose, because we should. God is asking of us to live out what he's called us to do. His purpose is his kingdom in this world. That every moment does have potential and it has purpose in it, absolutely. And he wants us to do those things as we covered over the last few weeks. But how do we do that yet and, and still care for our hearts? And not just drive them into the ground as we Walk out our purpose. How do we do those two things and hold them in balance? So, um, number one, pursuing wholeness is prioritizing people before process. People before process. So, pursuing purpose, but not neglecting compassion and forgiveness and loving relationships. Uh, Jesus was a man on a mission, right? We know that. Jesus had a mission. He came to seek and save those who were lost. Had three years where he was doing ministry. And he'd be ministering to people, and then they'd say, hey, stay with us longer. He's like, no, we got to keep moving. We got to keep moving. We got to move on from here. We got to go to the next city. And so Jesus was on a mission. And then we looked in Luke chapter 9, it said that he set his sights resolutely on Jerusalem. He's like, I'm heading there. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. And so Jesus was constantly on mission. He was constantly living out purpose. And he is our example. But what do we see with Jesus? That when there were interruptions in the form of people, when there were interruptions to that mission, he welcomed them, didn't he? He welcomed interruptions in the form of people when people would come to him with a need as he's on his mission what shifted in jesus when it was a person stand before him is that person became his mission a person in need immediately so whatever he was doing wherever he was going someone comes in and then boom he gives them their atten- his attention he listens He empathizes, he has compassion, he has care, he ministers, he loves, he restores, he heals. And that that wasn't necessarily part of the plan, right? But he lived by the presence. But in that moment, that person comes to him and he welcomes it. And he keeps people before process. And by process, what I mean is whatever the thing is that we gotta get done, (laughs) right? And even if it's good, even if it's, especially as parents, you guys know this, right? We've got things, we've got things we got to get done, right? And our kids can get in the way of getting things done. <laughs> but Jesus, he, he has this incredible way of balancing those things, of welcoming that. And is able to see them fully and completely in that moment and love them well. And then immediately step back in to mission and purpose. And he's asking that of us and it helps our lives be whole and complete that we don't lose our hearts in the midst of all this doing. So people before process, and I know, I know it's difficult. It's difficult, when, especially with like my kids. When I'm trying to get something done and they come up and they have something that they want to share or tell me about something. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like still doing something I'm like oh, that. That's yeah, that's great. They're like, why is that great? I told you that I had a bad time with the test. I, you know, I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, no, that's I'm sorry. That's yeah, that's bad. That's so bad. You know, but we're just, I'm just in I'm in motion. Right. I'm in motion and it's hard to stop. Um, but he invites us to that. And that allows us uh, the opportunity to be whole. Because our ultimate purpose is loving relationships. It's a loving relationship with Jesus and with people. And so we don't want to lose sight of that. So people before process, number two, how do we pursue wholeness? Keeping our eyes on the big picture of God's goodness. The big picture. His redeeming power. Look at, look at the story of Joseph in verse 9. 45, he says, he tells them, don't be angry with yourselves or grieve. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in these lands two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. So he saw the big picture of God's goodness, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. It's incredible. Romans 8.28, right? We talked about it last week. God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so as we're going through life and we're navigating the ups and downs of, our, of living on purpose and fulfilling our calling, and we're going through all of that, we remember that God has this redemptive work going on behind the scenes. Even when things get tough, we realize God's doing something. He's, he's working this together together for my good in some way. I remember when Katie and I first moved to Denver and, and, I, and it was just a really, really r- rough year, something that we would tell ourselves every time something went wrong was, man, I wonder how God's going to work this together for our good <laughs> because things were rough. And, uh, but again, he did. He was faithful to do so but he has a way of turning messes into messages right and tests into testimonies and all of that stuff so it's it's keeping our eyes on that i might not see it but i know the big picture is you're good you're always good and so i know that you're for me not against me and joseph kept that before him through all of that suffering He knew God had a plan. And when things change, we know that God remains the same. He's constant in his goodness. And what that does for us is it allows us to forgive even more freely. Because when we realize, hey, God's got my heart. He's good. I can trust my heart to him. Then he gives us the ability to separate the offense from the offender and say, God loves them. I love them. I don't love their offense, but I love the person. And I trust that God, he's gonna heal the hurt and he's gonna turn it around and he's gonna do some incredible redemptive work as he always does. And this gives me the freedom to forgive. So we keep our eyes on the big picture of God's goodness. And this allows us to pursue wholeness. So so we put people before process. We keep our eyes on the big picture of God's goodness. And then what about the times when we are... We're pursuing our purpose. We're living it out. And then we're kind of in one of those waiting times, right, where we, we, feel, we feel like we know what God's plan is for us, but we're in a waiting period, which I feel like that's like most of our lives. Um, but, but we're waiting for something, right? And we're like, okay, I know that God's told me to wait on this, and so I'm going to continue to be faithful where I am, right? Well, we're in a moment of waiting, but then like a tragedy strikes, Or we're dealing with grief or loss or something really hard. And so the whole idea of living in the present moment isn't very appealing. Because the present moment is terrible. So it's like, I don't want to live into the present moment. And then I know I'm on hold here, so what do I do? What do we do when we feel like the plan's on hold and then the present moment is just hard? Do we just rid it out and keep going. And maybe God has a plan somewhere in this moment. Number three is we we live the moment to the best of our ability, but we cling to hope. So we live the moment, we cling to hope. It's kind of like this. I can only live in my present moment, right? That's the only place I can live, it's where I am right now. I can only live this moment, but I possess more than this moment. Does that make sense? I can only live this moment, but I possess more than that because I have hope. I have hope, I have the greatest hope that I'm gonna see Jesus. And if my hope remains anchored in Christ, and then the fact that I will see him one day, then my hardship, the difficulty that I'm going through, will actually work for my benefit. Think about it this way. Um, Just like Joseph, our ultimate longing in our heart, the greatest longing of our heart, which is ultimately to be with, present with Jesus, but that ultimate longing, it won't be fulfilled even when the plans come to pass. Even when we're living out our dream, even when everything that we felt like God's called us to do, we get to do, and things are going well, we're still going to have a longing in those moments because that is only fulfilled when we see Jesus face to face. And you see this in different people's lives. One of my favorite quotes from Tom Brady, actually, which you guys are like, Tom Brady? Why are you quoting Tom Brady? You'll like it. Um... So he was about to win his third Super Bowl in four years, right? The Patriots had a dynasty, you know, and everything else. And he's excited, and he was telling the story of it, right, in this interview. He's like, man, I was just like, what is going to happen? What's the feeling going to be when I win a third Super Bowl in four years and I'm standing on the podium? Man, I can't imagine what it's going to be like when my dreams come true, right? Well, he wins. And, and they hug and they get t-shirts and he gets on the platform and they hand him the Lombardi trophy and he holds it up and the confetti's falling from the sky. And he said, you know what I was thinking in that moment? That's it. This is it. Get a hug, t-shirt, hold up a piece of metal, paper falls from the sky. Darn. I thought it would be more than this, and that's true, <laughs> because it's only in the presence of Jesus. It says we have what fullness of joy. Where does the fullness come in the presence of Jesus? Pleasures forevermore in the presence of Jesus. So when we cling to hope in those moments, hope makes our tribulation work for us instead of against us. And here's why. Hardship then elevates the value of eternal things. Hardship elevates the value of eternal things. Why? Because when we're going through hardship and suffering, it doesn't negate meaning. It actually brings attention to it because it reminds us this world has nothing for me, but this world has everything, everything I need. I don't need it. I don't, this world doesn't have anything for me. And so when we go through hard times where we're clinging on to hope, we realize, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. <laughs> of course, he has everything. Jesus is life itself. And so it's easy for us to, to kind of, and I know I do it all the time, to kind of pedal out our hope to little different things, you know, from time to time. Something's gonna fulfill me or this is gonna be. And then when we experience hardship, we realize, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> only Jesus, only Jesus is gonna satisfy. And not to mention all the scriptures in the Bible that talk about how tribulation produces godly character, right, you guys know those scriptures, right? James one, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. <laughs> yeah, thanks James. Romans 5, you know, all these tribulation produces godly character. But something I realized is (laughs) tribulation does not produce godly character. (laughs) Because think about it. There's a lot of people that go through tribulation and it does not produce godly character. In fact, it does the opposite, right? It causes despair or whatever. Depression. Tribulation with hope produces godly character. When we cling to our faith, and that's something that we uniquely have in Christ, is that we have a hope. And so when we go through hardship holding on to Jesus, then it produces in us patience, trust, contentment, perseverance, and eternal perspective. All of these good things come when we cling to hope. So... Number three, live the moment, but cling to hope. And then the last thing here, and I want to close with this. As we pursue our purpose and live out our calling, we have to make time for our heart. We have to make time to care for our heart. Genesis 43 in Joseph's story, verse 29, as he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son. He asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. Sometimes, Even when things are going well, we need to look for a place to weep. We need to find a place to be honest with God about our hearts. And they may be weary and worn out and stressed out. And we need space. What did Jesus say about prayer? He said, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who sees in secret go into a, to a place alone solitude with god and say god like the song here's my heart lord would you speak what is true would you heal me i know i've been going i've been i've been Obedient. I've been doing what you've asked me to do. I've been serving. I've been loving everything. I've been giving up for my family, for my spouse. But God, I'm just weary. My heart needs some restoration. Lord, here's my heart. God wants us to have purpose, but not at the expense of Maybe we need that embrace from Jesus more than we know. It all comes back to Him. Everything. Our eternal value comes to Him. Our identity is a child of God, nurturing a loving relationship with Him. When we live by the presence, it's His presence with us. When we plan by the principle, it's scheduling first what matters most, and that's Jesus want to be whole, it's coming to him with our heart. It all comes back to Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Our calling begins with Jesus. It comes from him. Our purpose literally comes from Jesus. And guess what? It ends with him, seeing him face to face and being made complete and whole. That's why Paul says our physical bodies grown within us for the day of redemption. Because that's that's when we're going to be whole with Jesus. So, my question for you today is, how's your heart? How's your heart? I want you to just take a moment, if you can. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? And I want you to ask Jesus, God, how's my heart? How's my heart? Been going. I feel like I've been doing right. I'm not perfect, but I feel like I've been doing good. I've been obedient. Lord, but how's my heart? Lord, is there something in me that needs to be healed? Did I did I suppress something in my busyness that maybe I should have surrendered first before I moved on? Is there something that I need to confess that's festering in my heart? is there someone that I need to forgive that maybe I just moved on but I need to intentionally forgive someone? Lord, am am I grieving something that I moved on too quickly from, a loss in my life and I need to spend a little bit more time grieving that thing? Lord, we just right now in this moment, God, we give you our hearts. Here's our hearts, Lord. Speak what is true. Lord, we want to be whole. We want to receive your embrace, God, from the heavenly Father who loves us. Yes, you've called us, and we say yes to you, Jesus. But we know in that calling, as we live it out, Lord, you care for us. And you see us, and you affirm us, and you heal us. We receive that. Lord, in this moment, Jesus. We give it to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You guys stand with me. We're going to close and worship. And uh, and I just encourage you, take this time, take this time, take a little bit longer, and if you need it, and just continue to give Jesus your heart, invite him in, and just receive from. Father, I just, I pray for everyone here, Lord, including myself, God, that as we continue to move forward with excitement, with energy, with passion, for you and for what you're asking of us, God, to be a light in our city, to love each other as a family well, and to nurture a loving relationship with you, Father. I just ask that you give us space, give us room, help us make room for our hearts. Lord, and we ask, that will you hold our hearts in your hands, Jesus? Lord, we give them entirely to you, Father. And bless the mothers here today, God. I pray for refreshing and restorative peace and life that you breathe into them. Lord, for all that they pour out, God, will you fill them up? Let their bucket overflow with the life of God. love you guys. Um, Moms, we have a little gift for you on your way out. We have a flower for you at the door, so please grab one of those on your way out. We love you guys. Love you mothers. Enjoy your Mother's Day. Um, Tell your moms that you love them. Give them hugs if you're you're able. Um, And uh, we'll see you guys next week.